Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yanyan. Today we're going to talk about the extravagance of Solomon. I'm calling this apes and peacocks. He spent so much money on all these things, yet Jesus declared of him he was the wisest man that ever existed next to Jesus Christ himself. But of David, it is said he's a man after God's own heart. Solomon had a lot of wisdom, but didn't use it. David had a little bit of wisdom and used it. This is what God is after. Let's go to the Word of God together and study apes and peacocks. For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian. Hello and welcome to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandian. Great to have you here today. Again, for those of you joining me for the first time today, welcome. We're glad to have you here. For those who've been listening for some time, thanks for coming back. To those who are partners with me and have been listening for quite a while, watching for quite a while, thank you so much. Let me just give you something about the ministry. I have a praise report here from Marion that says, thank you, Pastor Bob, for teaching the Word of God. I really appreciate it. And she watches me on YouTube. The point that I wanted to bring out here was the fact that she said, thank you for teaching the Word. I find today it's difficult just to find that many ministers who minister directly from the Word of God. And the thing about it is, if you let the Word of God speak for itself, those of you who are called to the ministry, instead of throwing in a lot of your own testimony, a lot of your own stories, and that's all right once in a while, Paul did that, and you know, and Peter did that, went back and reminisced about their life and how it affected them. But most of the time, the Word of God tells us to use the Old Testament for examples. Now, you can also use New Testament for examples, but basically saying this, let the word confirm itself and use the scriptures to confirm the scriptures in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word is established. That's what I built my ministry on. I love to teach the word of God. Once in a while, I'll throw in one of my stories, but most of the time, I like to teach something from the New Testament, take an Old Testament example, or teach it from the Old Testament and take concepts from throughout the word of God, which we're going to be doing today as we talk about Solomon himself. So again, just want to mention that for those of you that may wonder what, who is this guy and what's he doing? I pastored for 33 years and I taught the congregation, even told them from the very beginning, I love teaching Bible school students. In fact, for four years before I became a pastor, I taught in a Bible school. The last year I was there, I became the dean of instructors. And when I took the church, I said, I'm going to treat you just like Bible school students. And boy, did we raise up disciples. Did we raise up people that just average person in the congregation knew so much about the word of God for 33 years. This is what I taught. So this is what I've transferred over here, that this is a Bible school. Basically, you're sitting there learning like a Bible school student, the word of God, and again, letting the word of God speak for itself. Because oftentimes what you see that jumps off a verse out of a verse of scripture from the word of God is something you went, well, I've wondered about that for a long time. And here it was right there in the word of God the whole time. How did I miss it? Well, I can tell you this, you can be born again for years, be in the ministry for years and still say that. Here I am, you know, after being in the ministry for 33 years and stepped down from pastoring, you know, for a number of years ago and been doing this, teaching the word of God over YouTube and some other channels that I'm on. And it simply comes back to this. I don't care how long you've been teaching, you still see the word of God. Where have I been all these years? There it is right there in front of me, the answer I've been looking for. So again, this is the importance of the word of God. If you'd like to join me, those of you who are just, uh, again, watching for the first time today, or those who've been watching for some time also and become a partner with me, because you appreciate what's going on, that is I'm teaching the word of God often line upon line, precept upon precept, opening up the Greek or the Hebrew. And again, it'll be a great, ex, uh, again, expository teaching for you to understand. Then go to my website, bobyandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me in this ministry. And I thank you in advance. 
bobyandian.com. I'm teaching today, and I'm going to be talking about uh, Solomon and the extravagance of Solomon. But you know, it's an interesting thing is that Jesus pointed out about Solomon and said there was never been a wiser man next to Solomon than himself. He said, next to me, he's the wisest man that ever existed. But that still wasn't enough. He said of David that David was a man after his own heart. And really what he was saying was the limitations of Solomon. Although he had great wisdom, here's the thing. He didn't apply it much. We find over here was his books that he wrote, such as Proverbs and, and, and some out of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is pretty much a depressing book, but Song of Solomon has some good things to say in it. But the book of Proverbs especially is a tremendously wonderful book, uh, again, talking about the wisdom of God. But the sad thing is, is the things you read in there, you think, well, why didn't Solomon do that? It's because Solomon literally, despite all the wisdom that he had, somehow thought that something was missing in his life. And he went chasing after it to almost to his entire life. And we find the end result of it in the book of Ecclesiastes, where he said, finally, at the end of his life, I found out the secret to life, follow the Lord from your youth. Boy, that's some little short statement to make after an entire book of following after thing after thing. We're going to talk about that in this broadcast. But David was a man after God's own heart. He didn't know as much as Solomon, didn't have enough as much wisdom as Solomon. Man, was he quick to repent when he made mistakes. He had a heart after God, sought to seek after God all the time and not fall back on his own wisdom. So this again becomes a good admonition to us. And this is found in my book on Leadership Secrets of David the King, where in one particular psalm, David just brought out three and four points actually in the psalm about uh, how to apply wisdom in your life and four points on just leadership. So I think that you'll be blessed by that. And let's turn to the word of God, 2 Chronicles chapter 9. 2 Chronicles chapter 9. We're going to talk about the uh, wisdom of Solomon, how the queen of Sheba saw it. We've taught on this one section before, but I want to go back to this and go to the next verses because honestly, this is uh, verses 1 through 8. But after this, we see the other side of Solomon. And this is the side where the queen of Sheba saw this incredible wisdom from him. Let's take a look at 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, she came to Jerusalem to test Solomon with hard, and the Hebrew word means trick questions. Her, she, she was probably like a good reporter from a news, you know, a news station or something. She asked questions and had hooks in it. You know, we can trap him this way or that way. So she asked him hard or tricky questions, having a very great train, camels that bore spices, gold in abundance, precious stones. And when she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that was in her heart. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for Solomon that he could not explain it to her. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the the wisdom of Solomon, the house that he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his servants, the servants of his waiters and of their apparel, his cupbearers and all their apparel, and his entryway by which he went into the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit or literally no more will in her. The word spirit means breath. All of her, her drive was gone. She was exhausted by the time she'd gone through a number of questions, expecting she was going to wrap him around her finger. And the quite the opposite happened. He just so gently answered every question and literally demoralized her. By the end, she was just, you know, panting for air. All the will was gone out of her. And again, it says there was no more spirit or no more will in her. She was speechless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report. What I heard in my own land about your words 
and your wisdom. However, I did not believe their words until I came and saw it with my own eyes. And indeed, the half of the greatness of your wisdom was not told me. You exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are those your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne to be king of the Lord of your God, because your God has loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore, he made you king over them to do justice and righteousness. She said, the half wasn't told me. Literally, what happened was she had been to other kingdoms. And when she got there, what she saw didn't even come to half of what she had been told about him. She said, every place I went, I was underwhelmed. Every place I went, I saw they were lying about themselves and they'd been lied to about me. And I spent all that money to go there, all that time to go there. When I got there, I thought, man, I've seen this before. And on top of that, I can tell when somebody's not telling me the truth. And she said, honestly, when I came to see you, Solomon, I expected the same thing, but quite the opposite was true. When I saw these other kings, I understood this. They were only showing me half of what I had been told. When I came to you, what I had been told didn't even match half of what was I saw with you. You have overwhelmed me by what I saw. And so again, what we find out is that because of her coming to him, she became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Matthew chapter 12, keep your finger there, and we're gonna come back to this particular story about Solomon. In Matthew chapter 12, I want you to take a look with me at verses 41 and verse 42. And Jesus here is speaking to his disciples and to the religious Pharisees of his day because they have been condemning him, trying their best to outwit him. They have been asking him the trick questions. He has answered every one of them, but they still refuse to hear him. And Jesus finally says there's coming a day in verse 41 and verse 42 that the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Before we get to verse 42, think about this. The men of Nineveh were evil. The men of Nineveh were the enemies of Israel. And yet when Jonah went to preach to them and he walked through the street simply yelling, repent, the people did from the king down to the peasants in the street. And this is the greatness of the simple book of Jonah is how one man brought revival to these people. But here's the next important thing. The men of Nineveh, the inhabitants of Nineveh were Gentiles. And here he is speaking to Jews. And these Jews are rejecting him of which Jesus is a Jew. And the Bible says he came to his own first of all, and they did not receive him. But whenever Jonah went to the men of Nineveh and preached in the streets, they repented at his preaching and they literally fell before him and fell in the streets and accepted the Lord as their savior. And the judgment that was supposed to come against Nineveh was put off for a long way off to the book of Nahum. And by the time Nahum came along, they had they had gone back in their ways. They were not gonna repent this time. And Nahum just re, re-brought the... Uh, the judgment of God upon them that was supposed to come on them at the time of Jonah. But here's the second example in verse 42. Jesus said, the queen of the South, this is the queen of Sheba will rise up in judgment with this generation. Just like the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment of the Lord, for all unbelievers, and this will be the great white throne judgment as the Lord is sitting at the great white throne judgment. On one side, he's gonna have the unbelievers being judged. On the other side, people that that accepted him and 
the two that are, are brought out here is all the inhabitants of Nineveh and also one woman will be standing there and that's the queen of the south, the queen of Sheba. She will be standing with the men of Nineveh and she'll be standing up against you. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon and behold, a greater than Solomon is here. He's simply saying on that day, there'll be a side for unbelievers and a side for believers. You will be on on the side of the unbelievers because you rejected me and you are Jews. But yet this group on the other side, the men of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba are all Gentiles. They'll be standing on the side of the believers. She became a believer when she went to see Solomon. Not only did his wisdom impress her, everything about the kingdom impressed her. And she knew that he truly was called to be sitting on the throne of the Lord. And as he sat on the throne of the Lord and judged in righteousness, she accepted the Lord as Savior. So the men of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching and will one day be in heaven. Jesus tells us the queen of Sheba repented when she saw and heard the wisdom of Solomon, but the inhabitants of Nineveh and the queen of Sheba were Gentiles. And Jesus delighted in telling of the favor of God toward the faith of Gentiles, Naaman, a widow's son raised by Elijah. These are all ones who were Gentiles in the Old Testament and under Jesus' ministry, the one leper out of the 10 that came back was talked about that he was a Gentile. And then Jesus said of the uh, Roman centurion's son, many will come from the east and west and sit with Abraham. East and west is a reference to Gentiles. They will accept the Lord, but the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. He's simply pointing out that all God's looking for is simple faith. And this woman accepted the Lord as her savior. We'll talk more about this when we come back after the break. Many Christians are quick to confess all that they are, all that they have, and all they can do. They appear to overflow in knowledge of righteousness, healing, authority, and many other spiritual truths. Yet for all this spiritual knowledge, many of these same people are foolish and unlearned when it comes to the practical things of Christian life. As James said, my brethren, these things ought not be so. The book of Proverbs is a prime source of the wisdom we need for daily existence, and a close study of it is well worth our time and attention. In Proverbs Wisdom for Today, Bobby Ending discusses what wisdom is, its benefits, how to find it, where it comes from, and how to receive it in order to help you live a life of wisdom. To order Proverbs Wisdom for Today, go to bobyandian.com. Godly promotion seems always to come in steps. Slow growth allows us to learn valuable lessons on the way up, so once we reach the top, we can stay there and truly enjoy the benefits of success. It took many years from the time that David was anointed king until he became king of Israel. Those who advance too quickly because of their own efforts and talents often find the descent quicker than the ascent. Pastor Bob Yandian has based this book, Leadership Secrets of David the King, on Psalm 131, which reveals the secrets of David's successful leadership that he learned while ruling as king over Israel. To order The Leadership Secrets of David the King, visit our website at bobyandian.com. Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed, or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit bobyandian.com and click on Partnership. 
I highly recommend when you order the book that I'm offering here on the book of Proverbs, it's a great book and that's the one we're offering here. But I also highly recommend along with that, look on my website, you'll find a book, Leadership Secrets of David the King. And this kind of shows again, the contrast between the two. Although that uh, Solomon himself was a great man of wisdom, he didn't apply that much of it to his life. But David on the other hand, did not have as much wisdom as his son Solomon. But you know what? What he had, he used and God looked at him and said, you're a man after my own heart. So the difference between the two, I think you'll be greatly blessed by the book on Leadership Secrets of David the King, along with the book on Proverbs that I'm offering on this broadcast. Again, we ended the first part of this broadcast speaking out of Matthew chapter 12, verses 41 and 42, about the men of Nineveh, but also the queen of the south who came to see uh, Solomon in her day and left as a believer. And so the religious Jews of Jesus' day will not stand on the redeemed side of eternity because they sought redemption through the law, through religious legalism. And what we find here, I get this sense is a great example of the two that Jesus mentioned here. One was the inhabitants that uh, were in uh, Nineveh and whenever Jonah went to preach to them, but also the queen of Sheba. In that case, the first one, we have the fact that one man went out and preached to a nation. This represents evangelism from the body of Christ and one person going out to win uh, these souls, but also the Queen of Sheba represents a person coming to the church, a, a sinner coming into the congregation and it simply brings out all the things that impressed her. And I think that a church needs to be more than just the preaching of the gospel. Everything needs to be done with perfection. Everything needs to be done in greatness. And again, this doesn't mean spending a lot of money, but everything should be clean. Everything should be wonderful. The food should be good. The, the cookies don't have to be hard cookies. They can be soft cookies. The, the, the coffee can be great coffee, not cheap coffee. And one thing I always recommend is make sure whoever makes the coffee for anyone, visitors or people in the congregation, make sure the people who uh, make the coffee also drink coffee so that they will know what tastes good and what doesn't taste good. Anyway, just a few of my little points to add there about those of you who are pastors or those of you who are leaders in a church to make sure that you're church literally keeps its appearance as clean and wonderful for people because this actually helped the Queen of Sheba become a believer in the Lord himself. Let's talk about next on. We talked about here that Solomon was a man here who had great wisdom, but also we see the opposite side of him. And I want you to go back with me again to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, where we began. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 9, we started here talking about the fact the Queen of Sheba came to see him. This is the wisdom of Solomon. But in the next part, we find out the opposite side of him because it was almost like that Solomon was a walking contradiction, a dichotomy. And that the fact on one side, he had such great wisdom, but on the other side, he was not satisfied in himself. He began to search for for happiness in every area of life outside the word of God. This is where he went to try to find his wisdom. This is where he went to try to find his happiness. And yet he quoted how the word of God makes you happy. He quoted in the book of Proverbs these wonderful things. And yet in his own life, he did not match up to that and what all he did. We're gonna talk about the extravagance of Solomon. Why did Jesus say that Solomon was the wisest man ever next to him, yet David was a man after his own heart and he was Israel's model 
king. What do I mean by that? After David died, he became the standard for all kings after him. In fact, Solomon was compared to David. All the kings after Hezekiah, other ones after that were compared to him. And good kings were said of them that they followed in the footsteps of their father, David. Mediocre kings said they partially followed in the footsteps of their father, David. And then bad kings, they did not fall at all and did not walk at all in the footsteps of their father, David. Jesus himself, when he was born, the angels announced that he would sit on the throne of his father, David. Even David was compared to Jesus, Jesus to David whenever Jesus was born in this earth. Let's go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, and I want to talk about the extravagance of Solomon, all the things he sought after and how much money he spent on all these things. And let's first of all talk about the money that came into the kingdom. 2 Chronicles chapter 9, let's start with verse 13. It says in this verse of scripture, then we're going to jump down to verse 30 and 31. It says in verse 13, the weight of gold that came to Solomon yearly with 666 talents of gold. Multi, multi billions of dollars came in to the kingdom and this is what came in. But it goes on to say in verse 14, and here's the key word besides what? Besides which we could say, and added to that was the traveling merchants and traders brought. All the kings of Arabia and the governors of the country brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of beaten gold. 600 shekels of beaten gold went into each shield. He also made 300 shields of beaten gold. 300 shekels of gold went into each shield. The king put them in the house of the forest of Lebanon. I want to stop right there for just a moment. He literally took gold and made shields out of it. He had men that were working, you know, and they were beating the gold flat and made shields out of it. But let me just say something to you. This was strictly for show. And yet he mentioned how many hundreds. First of all, he made 200 shields. Then he made 600 shields. Then he made 300 shields, put them in different places. And these were shields that would be used like the ones in war, but you can't use a gold shield in war. Why? Because gold is soft. That's why they could beat it so easily and make uh, a shield out of it. But what a useless piece. It might be beautiful. It might be impressive and be able to stand there and we'll look at them on the wall. They can't be used in battle because you could run a sword right through it. I mean, it was thin, but the point of it was it was not made made like, you know, other types of metals. So this was strictly a thing that that he did, that Solomon did for looks. He goes on to say in verse 17, moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. Now think about this. Talk about something uncomfortable. How about a, a throne made out of ivory and then overlay it with pure gold? I mean, they didn't say there was anything soft on it. And this again was strictly for show. He literally did everything to impress people when they walked into his chambers, such as all the gold shields on the wall that were made out of beaten gold. And next of all, he made a throne, which I'm sure he very rarely sat on because it'd be so uncomfortable. And the king must have sat there throughout the day making decisions for people. Moreover, the king made a great throne of ivory and overlaid it with pure gold. The throne had six steps with a footstool of gold, which was fastened to the throne. There were armrests on either side of the place of the seat and two lions stood beside the armrest. 12 lions stood there. This is all together, one on each side of the six steps. Nothing like it had been made for any kingdom. And it goes on to say he did all this out of gold. He made these lions out of gold. He made the armrests again out of gold. He made the throne out of ivory. He overlaid it with gold. In other words, he did all this for show and yet it was it was almost useless. How do you use shields and how do you sit on the throne 
And what good are 12 lions standing around all made out of gold? It says at the end of that verse, nothing like this had been made for any other kingdom. He wanted to be so unique in everything he did. He found out what other kingdoms did and just went way extravagant above all of it. Verse 20, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were gold and all the vessels of the house of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. There was not one made of silver for this was accounted as worthless in the days of Solomon. I want you to understand something. Solomon so magnified gold in the use of it, he made silver useless. In other words, it wasn't worth anything. In fact, we're told later on in his uh, reign that he had dumps for the silver. They just threw the silver there. I imagine there's a lot of poor people traveling from other countries that came there just to grab that silver because the silver was worth something in other nations. It just wasn't worth anything in Israel. So again, not one was silver. It says at the end of verse 20, for this was accounted as worthless in the days of Solomon. For the king's ships went to Tarshish with the servants of Hiram. Once every three years, the merchant ships came bringing in gold and silver and ivory, apes and peacocks. That's where I want to point out something to you. Apes and peacocks. Now the translations, other translations call them monkeys or baboons in case even with the peacocks. Then some say this really wasn't peacocks. I went and looked it up. The primary definition of the word peacocks is peacocks. He brought them in. He also had monkeys and baboons from other parts of the world called apes here, but he also brought in peacocks. Why? Because there was no apes and there was no peacocks in the land of Israel. He saw them and brought them in from other countries. Again, this is just a big stamp of him showing himself for the approval of people just to show them things that were not found anywhere else. And he did this. Again, it says all the kings of the earth sought the presence of Solomon to hear his wisdom, which God God had put in his heart. Each man brought his presents, articles of silver, articles of gold. When they brought the silver, you know what happened. Solomon threw it over in the dump, but he kept the gold. Garments, armor, spices, horses, and mules at a set rate year by year. In other words, if you came to see Solomon, he had a yearly fee for you to pay to come see him, which included lots and lots of money, lots and lots of gold, lots and lots of garments, armor, spices, horses, mules. It says in verse 25, Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horsemen whom he stationed at the chariot cities and with the king of Jerusalem. So he reigned over all the kings from the river to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones, as rocks. And he made cedar trees as abundant as the sycamores, which are in the lowland. And they brought horses to Solomon from Egypt and every land. Look at verse 30. Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers, was buried in the city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. I want you to think about this for just a moment. All the things that Solomon did, all the things he did was extravagance. In other words, when it came to showing his wisdom to the queen of Sheba, she was impressed with him. But everything else, I'm sure the other kings must have gone, this guy is stuck on himself. And that's exactly what it was. But here's the point. Solomon was raised in a Christian household. His father was a believer. His mother was a believer. His family were believers. And he probably thought growing up, and even as he took over the king kingdom, 
I wonder if there's something that was left out in my life. I mean, I was always kind of in a sheltered life. My dad sheltered me with the word of God. I was always in church. My mom was always there. I wonder if there was something I was missing. And throughout Solomon's lifetime as a king, he tried everything he could. This is the book of Solomon. I often say this to people. If you ever feel way too happy and you need some depression for a while, go to the book of Ecclesiastes. It's a book that will depress you. It's a story of a carnal believer looking for happiness in everything except the word of God, looking for happiness in everything outside of a relationship with God himself. Solomon tried everything. We're gonna talk about this tomorrow when we come back as we continue talking about the Solomon here and the literally what the apes and peacocks stood for was his extravagance and everything, seeking after something that the word of God was designed to handle, his relationship with God was designed to handle. And the sad thing was, is that Solomon spent years outside of fellowship with God and didn't come back into fellowship with the Lord until just before he died and suddenly realized he could have had the happiness all that time without running around the world, pulling in everything from every other nation to try to find it. He finally came back and rediscovered it in the word of God. We'll come back tomorrow and talk about that. And I can't wait to see you. We'll see you tomorrow. You can order resources, become a partner, or browse free articles and podcasts by visiting our website at bobyandian.com. Join our mailing list and receive weekly devotions and the latest ministry updates. If you would like to contact Bob Yandian Ministries, visit bobyandian.com and click on Contact. To contact us by mail, use the address on your screen. Thank you for watching today's broadcast. We'll see you next time on Student of the Word with Bob Yandian.